the partner that they choose on occasion might be someone who has a good social standing or has a great job. Mm -hmm. So they're a trophy in a lot of ways. You know, they don't really care, but it makes them look good in public. Right. Behind closed doors, they might start acting terribly to you. But outwardly, they might be showcasing themselves because you make them look good. Hey guys, welcome back to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. I'm your host, Jazzy, and I'm back with another episode for our Domestic Violence Awareness Month series. And today we're talking about narcissists. Now, I feel like this has been a really hot topic lately. Um, I don't know about everyone else, but <laughs> this has been all over my TikTok feed, Instagram reels. I'm seeing it everywhere. Everyone's talking about narcissists. And I think it's really important that we're careful about the language that we use especially when it comes to real mental health illnesses and disorders. So I wanted to talk to someone who understands what NPD actually is or narcissistic personality disorder, what it actually is so that they can help us not only identify narcissistic traits within our partners, but also teach us how we can set boundaries with that person when we notice it. So today I'm speaking with Brandon Chadwick, which first of all, Love having men in this space talking about domestic abuse. He's great. Um, so Brandon has been interviewing survivors of narcissistic and domestic abuse on his podcast, Narcissist Apocalypse, since 2019. Since then, he's published over 250 survivor stories and has interviewed countless experts in the field from therapists to lawyers to domestic violence advocates and agencies. So he's definitely an expert when it comes to this stuff, and I'm really excited for y'all to learn from him. Hey, Brandon. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. What about you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me here today. I know. Thank you for being here. I appreciate all the work that you're doing, you know, to raise awareness about domestic violence and, you know, providing a platform for people to share their stories. I think it's really important. So I appreciate you for doing that. Thank you. Yeah. So do you want to introduce yourself, tell people about your podcast and how you even got started. Sure. So uh, first, it's rare that I'm on this side of the uh, microphone, so it's a lot different. <laughs> um, I am Brandon Chadwick, and I host a podcast called Narcissist Apocalypse. And it is a podcast that I say gives a voice to survivors of domestic violence. And the podcast is you know mainly a survivor story podcast so they tell their stories from beginning to end and we try to give a really big 3d picture of who they are before the relationship began um, how the relationships um, at the beginning play out and then you know what starts to happen um, during the relationship and and how they get out if they've gotten out sometimes we do have episodes where people are still in the relationship and mm -hmm. we really do our best to, you know, in it's an educational show, even though it's a true crime that's going on. And we just do our best to give validation to people who are going through the same thing or who have gone through the same thing and showcase um, tactics that are used, um, really give people an idea that what is going on with them is real and mm -hmm. also when it comes to people's feelings, you know, everyone's situation of domestic violence can be different in different situations, right. but everyone's feelings mm -hmm. can be the same. So the more someone can really discuss their feelings and go down that road of how they're feeling, the more they can connect with someone and someone else out there is feeling the exact same way, which validates their experience as well. But it also creates a language for people. And we're creating a language. So with that language, people can now talk to themselves in a different way, understand themselves in a different way. Uh, they can go to that depth. It opens up a door. And then they can communicate with others. Um, mm -hmm. And that communication is a big thing in helping themselves maneuver and get out uh, and yeah, just get help and sure. support. So mm -hmm. our show started you know, as a humor show, which is an odd thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just writing a humor book uh, about narcissism, which is why the show is called Narcissist Apocalypse. The original name of the show was 
what I was going to call the book, uh, which never got made, uh, How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse. And <laughs> the show was a humor show, and I was the character from the book. And, you know, writing humor is different from performing it on a show. So mm. I knew I wasn't doing very well at doing it and having it translate. So I asked my friend one day to help me. Um, and she, I went over to her boyfriend's parents' place because they were out of town. She came from in from out of town. And she was staying there. And I brought my equipment. And halfway through, maybe not even halfway through, I noticed that something was really wrong. And um, I kind of broke character. I tried to stay in character. I started asking serious questions. And she was talking about her previous relationship that was um, kind of bothering her. Because when she was coming into town um, on the bus, out of like clockwork, this person texted them as if they knew after like two years yeah, they were coming into town. It was just, she was like, how did they know? So mm -hmm. we just kind of went into that. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I should never have released that episode. It was this mixture of terrible comedy and, you know, self-help in some sort of weird way. But I released it. Mm -hmm. And four weeks later, because I had such weird artwork and uh, a, a, a good name to the show, like a catchy name. Right. Someone clicked on it and was curious and listened. And they said in their email to me, like, don't do the humor stuff. Like, just do interviews. That interview helped me. And I said, okay, sure. I can roll with the punches like that. I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I found another, I found a stranger this time. It took about six weeks. Recorded with him. He came from a dysfunctional family. And... It was very cathartic kind of talking to him. We were very much alike. Uh, mm. We had the same personality. I could have finished the sentences. And uh, again, from there, three weeks after that, another email came in saying that really helped me keep going. So I did. And wow. um, what started off as humor and then initially was about like the buzzword of narcissist and narcissistic mm -hmm. abuse. Yeah. About six months, not six months, let's say around four or five months, I realized like this show is about domestic violence and, um, you know, it's a buzzword narcissist and narcissistic abuse at the time. It is a specific thing, but it, as a whole, it's this, uh, it's all domestic violence. And I was like, okay, now I have to learn. I have to learn. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, when you think about things that are meant to be or just happen mm -hmm. and you're like oh that thing happens to different people it just doesn't happen to me yeah. you know I went to bed one day said I need to learn I said this out loud to myself I need to learn about court I need to learn about custody I need to learn about this whole entire system mm -hmm. yeah and I went to sleep I woke up in the morning and I had an email from a former public defender now domestic violence attorney in uh, the state of Washington and they said, I listened to your show. I love it. But you need to learn about court. You need to learn about <laughs> custody. You need to learn about this. You need me on your show. And I, at that moment, I was like, this was meant to happen. Yeah, for sure. It's awesome so. that people were finding you and just reaching out. I love that everyone just felt comfortable enough, I guess, to share feedback with you as well as, you know, pitch themselves. Well, that's the thing with podcasting because I also, you know, I'm doing domestic violence uh, as the topic, but like podcasting as a whole, I'm all pretty passionate about. And, you mm -hmm. know, I try to help whoever's who like listens to the show and they might be starting their own thing. I have like an open door. Like you need like help or learning lessons or mm -hmm. like any input I can give. I give it to people. I listen to their show and I'd be like, I might do this or this or that, you yeah, know, because it gives the power back to like you as a person, you're doing your show. Like mm -hmm. it's yours. It's your baby. Yeah. And you know, you can do whatever, right? Yeah, you know, you grow it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I know you mentioned that narcissists, narcissism, narcissistic abuse, all of those things are buzzwords. And I feel like they get thrown around a lot. So I want to understand from you, at least, what would you say is the definition of a narcissist? How would you describe it? And yeah, let's go. Let's start with that. <laughs> so I will say that I, even though my show is called Narcissist Apocalypse, you know, that's what people are searching. Mm -hmm. And so 
That's the number one thing people are searching the word narcissist or narcissistic abuse. So it's the easiest way to get found. In the grand scheme of things, if I could rename my show and be consistently found and not throw people off, I would call my show Patterns of Abuse. Mm. Like that's what I would really call it. And when people come on the show, yes, people are using the word narcissist. I ask them to try and not do it. Yeah. But I can't tell people what to say or do. Right. Especially uh, or in their I can't, stories. You know, I, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to, but I'm like, let's try and use the word abuser. I'm not going to stop you from using whatever words you use. But mm-hmm. for me, you know, there's the book, well, Why Does He Do That? by a Lundy Bancroft. And Lundy Bancroft has 10 types of abusers. But technically, there are nine types of abusers. And then the 10th one is, and I can never say this word properly, comorbidity. I just did it properly. (laughs) And the comorbidity means that the 10th thing is, you know, the person could have an addiction issue, they could have a personality disorder, um, amongst other things that overlap the other nine types. Mm -hmm. And you can have a dominant type of the nine abuser types, or, you know, you can have a bunch of different ones that are really playing a part. Yeah. And so when it comes to narcissism and specifically, you know, narcissistic personality disorder, what everyone is used to or what everyone thinks society is, is, you know, the grandiose person, um, you know, cocky person, right. thinks of themselves. But the world that we're kind of living in is more um, covert you know, so someone who you don't realize lacks empathy, but they do lack empathy. Mm. Uh, you know, how, I mean, we can get into it eventually, but how do you know that someone is lacking empathy off yeah. the bat when they're hiding it really well? It's not. Mm-hmm. So when people are like, how do you know? And it could take a long time right. for you yeah. to figure these things out. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know that someone is selfish or self-centered you might not know for a while with this specific type of person but someone with um, narcissistic personality disorder you know they are most likely you know someone who has you know an injury growing up or a trauma kind of growing up where they're really stunted and stunted, you know, like there's that show Arrested Development. They have Arrested Development. You know, everyone in that show has issues if you've ever watched <laughs> Arrested Development. And, you know, when it comes to that injury, it all centers around that specific wound of theirs. So, you know, if they're not getting their needs met, they're only thinking about that specific wound right so they might be really mean to you they might be like terrible to you and they might do all these things that you know make it look like they're this complete monster but -hmm. in the reality that what's going on is like they're just treating this wound that's inside them and they cannot see beyond that wound and a lot of the times they'll believe everything that they say and think Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to someone with narcissistic narcissistic personality disorder because, you know, they're just ca- trying to caretake their need. You know, they might come off as being very likable and they might seem like they're a good caretaker at a certain point. Mm-hmm. But with someone who has this, dis- with the disorder where it's, they're actually diagnosed with the disorder, that wound really runs their life. And, you know, a lot of the time, when it comes to these relationships, you know, at the beginning, they will idealize you when it comes to someone with narcissistic personality disorder. So they think you're you're like gold to them. Mm-hmm. You can do nothing wrong. But they've given this version of you that they want, that they think is great. You know, so they're doing that initially. But then when it comes down to it over time, what happens is, you know, you do see their lack of empathy because, you know, when they want to tend to their needs, yours don't matter anymore. So yeah. there is no empathy for you because they want it all on them. Mm. So, you know, as far, I don't know if I answered that question, um, but it, 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 they're, it, they're, it's, it's complicated, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
and you know people think that they're self-confident but you know when it really comes down to it you know they do have a fluctuating self-esteem they probably have a lot of shame going on and that wound that they have it's coming from there so when that gets hit you know boom things mm-hmm. can 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 really erupt yeah yeah i think that answered the question because there is a difference between the actual personality disorder and i guess just traits that make someone you know, I guess they're similar to narcissism. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yeah, like th- you can be self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the trick thing, you know, with narcissistic personality disorder and the covert people is that, yeah, I mean, you might look at someone who's altruistic mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that person is a great person. But their reason for being altruistic isn't because they really want to help people. It's because... That injury or wound that they have, yeah. they need to, you know, they might be been, they could have been told their whole entire life that they were, like, they might not, like, um, be a great person or no one will see them in a great way. So if they become this great person who's altruistic, mm-hmm. people will have this view of you. Right. So they're doing it to get the view, mm-hmm. not because they really want to help you. Yeah. So when push comes to shove... Later on in that type of relationship, you might see the cracks where like, oh, this person really isn't altruistic. They're just doing this you know, thing because, you know, it makes them look good. And you see that yeah. with um, relationships in, in lots of ways with someone with MPD, that the partner that they choose on occasion might be someone who has a good social standing or has a great job. Mm-hmm. So they're a trophy in a lot of ways. You know, they don't really care, but it makes them look good in public. Right. Behind closed doors, they might start acting terribly to you. But outwardly, they might be showcasing themselves because you make them look good. Oh, wow. Yeah, I never thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it seems like there's actually a lot of positive characteristics. And I've heard this, you know, we've done some other episodes too, where there are positive characteristics that attract women to people that also happen to be abusers. Can you share some of those characteristics that you have heard, you know, in the stories that people have shared with you? I wouldn't go as far as to say, like, positive, positive (laughs) in the sense of like, you know, these are great things. But when the idealization phase happens in that stage of abuse, when it comes to specific narcissistic abuse, you know, they will put you on a pedestal. So... You know, they could be very charming. Uh, they could be very giving with their time, compliments, gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we think of empathy, you know, as I said before, there's a lack of empathy, but there's two different types. There's two different types of empathy. There's like empathy where you can really feel what's going on, and then there's cognitive empathy. And with cognitive empathy, it's different than emotional empathy because, you know, they're analyzing and they're watching you, and even if it's unconscious for them of what they're doing, just like when you're a child and, you know, you know when you cry as a baby, even though you're unconsciously doing it or as a toddler, you're trying to get something. So cognitively, like, they have that knowing of, like, if I do this, then this is the reaction that I'll get. So they can cognitively understand what you need at the beginning of a relationship. So a lot of people are mirrored, not just in their likes and dislikes, but they can be mirrored in the sense of, well, I know that my new partner here came from X upbringing and that maybe in that upbringing, they might have been a perfectionist or they could have been told that they weren't smart. And they have a thing about them of like, oh, they don't really think that they're the smartest person. I know that. So what I'm going to do as someone with NPD, I might start saying, well, I think you're smart. Oh, look at all these things that you're doing. So you're taking this person's insecurity and then they start to like butter it up. They start to build it. And like you start to feel seen in ways that you might not have been seen before. Or you mm-hmm. get, you know, everyone has your their identity. You know, I would say that my identity for a very long time is I'm a reliable person. Everyone can count on me to whatever detriment it is. I'm going to try and be as reliable as possible. So if someone came around to me and was just like really buttering up that part of me, which I identified with, 
after a certain period of time, I feel great around them. They're, they're, you know, this, they're really understanding my identity of who I am as a person. I feel great. But eventually, you know, they'll try to put that worth that you have of that identity into their hands. So once that is in their hands, they can start pulling it, taking it away, and then giving it back. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're in trouble because now they're controlling all of you. They try to become the truth teller of your life. And yeah. um, you, <laughs> then, so then, then you're in just a lot of trouble at that point because you're being ping-ponged all over the place and the only person that can make it better is the person that's making it worse. Wow, yeah. I can definitely relate to that, actually. <laughs> um, so it seems like they kind of stroke your ego, I guess, in the beginning and then use whatever your insecurity is that they, you know, were at one point saying that you were great at or, you know, making you feel good about and then just use that against you. Yeah, that's that's a really big tactic. It's one of the most like one of the biggest things we hear on our show is like that will mm-hmm. really start happening. You know, yeah. I always ask people like, how were you seen in a way that you were never seen before? Some people it isn't like that at all. You know, it all depends. Um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, with in a within an abuser, a narcissistic abuser, they could be someone who is like really everyone loves <laughs> yeah. and like really charismatic, charisma like crazy. Mm-hmm. And they could have a lot of people around. And you think that this person is the catch of all catches. And you might have come from a place where you could have a little bit lower self-esteem or maybe not any low self-esteem at all in any sort of way. But at the same time, you know, because society is the way it is, you know, we have shows like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, you know, Mm -hmm. the pick me shows where you stop and you're, you're not thinking about, do I actually like this person? But you are seeing that everyone loves this person. So when this person starts to shower you with their affection and show interest, you know, for a lot of people, you know, they might say, oh, wow, this person chose me. Yeah. So, so, but at that point, they're trying to keep up this persona and Mm -hmm. that persona, you know, is, it's a tough one for people because when that abuse starts happening with that specific type of abuser and narcissistic abuser, um, it's hard for someone to discern if if the abuser is them or the abuser because everybody loves them. Yeah. And they, those specific types might be telling you, like, you're the one that's causing this problem and Mm -hmm. they can really gaslight you. So all of a sudden, you know, and they can set up situations in certain ways where it's like, you know, this person doesn't, you know, they can possibly, like, there's little tactics that they they can do where you know what they mean, you know what looks mean, and in public, they can get you to blow up. Mm. where it looks like you're the one that's blowing up and they're calm. So they can use that against you. So all of a sudden, they're the abusive one. Everyone loves them and you start thinking that you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) And even, you know, trying to get you to react to different things. I I definitely um, experienced that. It's like, no, you are the one being aggressive. You're the one yelling at me. I didn't do this or I didn't say this. And I'm like, I literally have it recorded. You saying these things, that gaslighting (laughs) is so, it's just mind blowing. Um, And you do go through that. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, there's so many reasons why some people stay in relationships like this, but they can't figure out, you know, is this just a one-time thing? Is this just like, who am I dealing with? Which one, you know, sometimes they're totally fine and then they put that mask on and then they're a complete monster and it just goes back and forth and it's, like the most confusing thing ever. Yeah, which is, you know, you recording that is 100% needed. But sometimes you have people who've recorded things and they'll still, because they've been gaslit so yeah. bad, mm-hmm. they'll still question the recording that they that yeah, they have. That was definitely me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you know, I always say journal and journal and journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had one guest uh, a long time ago who now helps the show in, in, in a big way. The guest name at the time was Vienna. And we recorded in 2020. It was released. And the thing that she said to me on that day, I don't know if it was on the recording or in our conversation after, but it was a red flag isn't a red flag until it becomes a pattern. Mm. 
So you can be as prepared as you want, uh, but having a journal and going into relationships, you know, having a journal and marking these things down, being like, okay, you know, here's my value system, here's what's happened, start kind of seeing, okay, is this a pattern and going from there. But again, you know, even when it's happening and you're journaling, sometimes there, if it's mm-hmm. gone on for a very long time and you've been gaslit for so long, it's even hard to trust your journal at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what are, I know we've mentioned a couple, but what are some of those patterns and signs that someone might be doing this to them? So uh, I think the biggest one for everyone is actions not matching words. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're at the beginning of a relationship and I think it's best to kind of stick to the beginning to help people. Yeah. Um, actions not matching words is a big one. Um, a little one that I think is really interesting for people is like boundary pushing and people might not see certain things as boundary pushing, but you know, what, just little kind of examples, let's say you're going out with someone and you know, you've been on a few dates and you know, you're tired and you know, you have to get up early for work and whatever. and, And you say, Hey, I'm uh, I need. I have to get home early tonight. And they start saying, oh, no, 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 stay out late, stay out late. It's innocent, mm-hmm. you know. It's very innocent to everyone in society. But at the same time, you've stated what you wanted and they're not listening. So, yeah, one off, sure. But if you were then like another day or like, oh, I'm not drinking, I don't want to drink. Oh, come on, have a drink. Have mm-hmm. a drink with me. Yeah. They're not listening. So if you start these little things that like that, where all the time, you know, you're stating these things that don't seem like they're a massive thing at all. If these little things like that start adding up, which you don't really see as boundary pushing, Mm -hmm. most people will not see that as boundary pushing. But you have someone who has heard what you said, didn't care what you said, and wants you to do what they want to do against your best interests. Mm. That is very, very tiny, but things to pay attention to in the long run because those things start off that way mm-hmm. and then can grow. Yep. But if that's these consistent little things start happening, that's, you know, interesting. Um, when we think about lack of empathy early on when someone is acting and they're on their best behavior, how do they treat servers? Do they look down on people? Are you noticing these little things that are going on? If you walk by someone homeless, how do they react? What do they do? Mm-hmm. Um, the way they, they, they're they treating other people is a, a big thing, especially, you know, trying to figure out how does someone really lack empathy. And you're looking maybe for a sense of entitlement in there as well, because with some of NPD, they do have a sense of entitlement. You might mm-hmm. not see it. Yeah. You know, how do they look at specific jobs, um, things like that? What is the title of their job? Is that title way grander than what the job title is <laughs> did they make up things their own like, title now <laughs> yeah th- things like that you know yeah uh, so are things adding up in those ways uh do they brag about specific things that they might not even notice or bragging a lot of people might not realize that they do that mm-hmm. um and then you know uh, actions not matching words like lying if there's like little things in in there as well so those are the kind of like the, the real small things that you might be looking for really earn early on um, as just like a precursor of, you know, what could be coming. Mm. Um, and those are just things that are hard for them to mask because they're not even noticing that those could be things. It's like if you're trying to give someone a lie detector test, what questions are you going to ask them so they so it's an honest thing Mm -hmm. so these are the kind of the things that like they might not have on their radar which you can really start noticing Mm -hmm. yeah so maybe journaling you know would help in that situation kind of reflect back on the month and say okay am i noticing a pattern here are these things coming up because they're so small and you kind of forget too about the little things that have happened yeah and you're all you're always just kind of looking for uh like patterns to to form so Mm -hmm. obviously rage can be in there when you're driving in a car with them uh you know are they how are they handling like reacting to people on the road Mm -hmm. are they flying off of a handle you know 
these are some things they might not be able to control. Yeah. Uh, you're catching them kind of in the act of, of those things. So, the, you know, again, also like rage, anger issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a, it doesn't even well. have to necessarily be directed at you. It could be directed at other people, yeah. other things. Yeah. And I always say, you know, everyone, and this can be a double-edged sword because everyone can come from a really like screwed up family. <laughs> and you can come from a screwed up family and you can be a great person. Yeah. But when you go to their home or you meet their family, how does that family interact? Who is where? Analyze that family. Like, where does everyone sit in this thing? Uh, who is there a scapegoat in this family? Is there a golden child in this family? You know, you might understand that, you know, within, we've heard stories where they meet the family and. You know, the guy is the youngest. He has three older sisters or something like that. And he might have been the child that you know, was the mistake child mm. and like wasn't supposed to be born. And they have him on a pedestal. They treat him like the best. And the way of that treating has given a real sense of entitlement. And you don't really notice that everyone at the house is fawning over him. Yeah. Because, you know, growing up, they were like, oh, my God, look how cute he is. He's our like miracle child or whatever. <laughs> And they've done everything for that child ever. And it's given him like a sense of entitlement. He hasn't known anything else, but people yeah. always caretaking him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you start to notice that like you're caretaking this person way more and doing a lot of household chores and they're not helping out at all, if you look at the family, be like, okay, I understand yeah, why this is how, how this has been their formed. Whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of times, the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. You know, we all take on personality traits of either, our, you know, uh, whatever caregivers that we've had. Mm-hmm. Good ones, bad ones. Sometimes, you know, we, we get lucky and we understand, you know, that I don't like this trait and you work on it. Right. But, you know, some people don't have that understanding. You know, the trauma is too big. They can't see past that they need to be the one that needs to work on stuff. Mm. And... They, uh, at that point, think everyone else is the problem and <laughs> yeah. they, they believe it. They believe it. I think that's the part that I guess surprised me the most is that they truly do believe what they're saying. Yeah. There could be some moments of clarity where they kind of know, but you have, there, there are some that truly, truly believe it and it's maddening for everyone who's on the receiving end of it Mm -hmm. and it's hard to understand but they're just in their own hurt and that's all they see they can't see your point of view they're seeing it from their very warped point of view and what they're trying to do is have you live in a world of their warped point of view Mm. and if they can convince you that their point of view world is the world well you have you're stuck in for a very long time wow yeah that's a really good way of putting it so i know this you know as someone who's been through this situation but what i guess what effect does their behavior have on the person you know um i know it can affect their self-esteem self-worth and all of that what have you learned in hearing some of these stories well, when it comes to like the, the ways that it affects you, obviously it can affect your self-esteem. Uh, if you're being put down all the time, uh, you're being gaslit all the time on who you are as a person. Um, you know, it affects your trust in yourself and in other people. Uh, if you can't trust, if, if they're very good at what they do and are able to have you if they sow the seeds of doubt in you and that can not just be like who you are as a person but we hear many stories where you know they might put their keys down and then they go out of the room and they come back and their keys aren't there anymore and they're like where are my keys and you know things go missing um just like that movie gaslight with the how did that work there but mm-hmm. you know they start they can play you know they can play around with the reality of things where you start to not trust like the things you do, um, the thoughts that are in your head. And it can be like just really manipulative. They become this truth teller in your life. 
And, you know, once they become the truth teller in your life and they become the voice inside your head, you know, with the self-esteem, um, you know, it's just, it's just your self-worth and, and everything about you that can take a toll. Uh, health issues can arise because you're constantly living in stress. Mm. You know, that's something uh, that can happen. Um, you know, other things that happen, obviously you're living in fear. So anxiety, constant anxiety. Um, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop at all times. Yeah. And if you're waiting for the shoe to drop at all times, you're just living in a state of shakiness and um you know that's just no way to live to be constantly scared mm-hmm. um and you know it's just there's just the ground beneath you in all ways is just not steady and when when you're in that sort of place of being just hyper vigilant of everything that is going on you know they they take a, a lot a lot of things away from you and uh you know besides anxiety you could be getting depression issues um you, you know lack of motivation mm-hmm. um and just you know confidence in in being anything you know the toughest thing for people when they're leaving besides the financial aspect of things if they're in a financially abusive situation is you know your abuser really telling you that you can't make it on the outside world without me you know, mm-hmm. you know, they've gotten to that point where you stop believing in yourself that you can actually live without them. And in many ways, they create an addiction to them. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the addiction aspect of everything, if you are addicted to them, you know, you constantly want, you know, they're, they're your drug and your drug dealer. And they are the poison, but at the same time, you still think you need them to live. They're the only thing that can fix you. They're exactly like how a drug would be. And to try and kick drugs, if people think about that, you know, how long does it take? How many times do people go to rehab? Mm -hmm. They relapse. And you have to think of that in the same way when it comes to an abusive relationship that an addiction has been formed. And it might not be the first time or second time or third time. You know, the average is seven times in leaving. And, um, you know, they take a lot away from you and they, you know, they take your future. A lot of people, I think a big thing that, uh, one of the most interesting things people say is they take away your innocence. It's mm. a, a thing that like is lost and that for a lot of people, they didn't know that this type of thing existed. Yeah. And, you know, their world is changed forever. It's this very, you know, a lot of people have this very... Ignorance, not ignorance is bliss, but like a view of the world and like people are good and Mm -hmm. like they want to believe that and then they experience this and they'll never get that back. Once that innocence is lost, it's gone. Just like kids believe in Santa and then Mm -hmm. there's at one point Mm -hmm. it's gone and that and you know when that child hits that age, that innocence is gone. And the same thing here, except you're an adult a lot of time when this happens Mm -hmm. and that is a very difficult thing for people to bounce back from yeah it's not just a loss of like human it's just it's a societal thing and it's like a belief in the world that has all of a sudden disappeared and there's a lot of grief Mm -hmm. that people are going through that becomes like unresolved and uh just very difficult to um deal with it affects people in a huge way Mm mm-hmm yeah. Oh, wow. I love everything you just said. <laughs> it's just so interesting. And then you're right. It does change your whole world view because now you know that there is evil out in the world, even if you didn't realize it before. And especially if you're interested in dating, it just gives you even more, I guess, anxiety and a little bit of restraint because you don't even want to go out there and date again or be exposed potentially to this again, this scenario. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So lots of therapy <laughs> can help. Um, <laughs> at least it's starting to help for me. And we are going to do an episode on healing after abuse. So um, there will be tips in there too. But uh, yeah, it, it can definitely wear on someone's self-esteem. Have you heard any stories where someone kind of, I guess, got better from uh, like their abusive tendencies? As the abuser. I don't know if you have any stories like that where someone actually did change. <laughs> um, well, we don't have like, like 
when the show began and about the eighth month mark or something like that, seventh, eighth month mark, I made a show uh, values list. And I think this is something everyone should also make a list for when you're going into relationships, mm. your, your own values list. And you kind of be like, what are my show values? What are what are my life values? And in, in, like, if someone's not matching your values, you mm-hmm. know, you just be like, see you later. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. So when with my show values list, one of the things was um, the caretaking of the people who the community that's listening, and that you know, I am a facilitator of the show. I am the show's not about me and what I want. I try to improve the show and improve how we tell stories and mm-hmm. come up with different ways of doing that. But when it comes to having an abuser on the show it's just something we've had someone who is a self-diagnosed narcissist do information only not tell a story mm-hmm. but do inf- and they're not a healed person uh we've had them come on once and do um an interesting thing about narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder themselves about the different types there could be right um we did that and i decided after that that it still didn't sit well with me even doing an informational Mm -hmm. one like that but um we try not to focus on that in this just because i i have my own ideas of things Mm -hmm. and you know what the show is and everyone will have their own version of it and part of the show i want to be more about self-discovery mm-hmm. part of obviously everyone's doing research on the other people um but i don't want to give anyone false hope that someone that they're with is going to change yeah um so even if there is are people out there like that i don't want to give false hope because mm-hmm. of so many people that are listening are in situations where they're like well can they change so mm-hmm. Obviously, there are going to be instances where that does happen. There, 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 there just are. You know, Eleanor Greenberg, who is one of the foremost experts in this, deals with people who have been abused and uh, people that uh, that have NPD that have come to her, and she works with them, and they're trying to change. And she's one of the foremost experts, and you can find a lot of her. She answers a lot of questions on Cora for people if people want to go mm. find her on Cora. She's a really good resource. Um, so yeah, she, she deals with people that are in the process of trying to change, but you know, I don't want to give hope to people that like, there's going to be change happening Yeah. And you know, the show specifically is about, you know, showing people what's happening, validating them. And then also a lot of the show is about self-discovery because mm-hmm. we're discussing like this person did X, I responded in Y. And then after I internally responded in why, I then responded back in this way and then they did this. And so we're trying to understand when they did that, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. And was this a good response? This at one time could have been a response that was very helpful to me. It helped me survive whatever life I was living then. Yeah. But now this response is getting me into trouble. Mm. So where did that response come from? And in the future, how do I analyze what's going on in real time? And this is down the road for people. This is not something, but we would Mm -hmm. like, we hope that people get to the point where like, you know, I responded like that and then this happened and we have a lot of people pleasers that are, are guests on our show, a lot of caretakers, a lot of people who are peacemakers mm-hmm. and those things help them survive at a certain point. But now when you an abuser gets you, it's 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 music to their ears. Um, but, you know, in the future, how do we get to say no and stop this and be mm-hmm. like, this is my boundary? Gone. Right. So a yeah. lot of ways we hope that people listen to the show and then listen to people that have, you know, we have different people that have gone through, uh, they're still in the relationship, they're just out of the relationship, they're still going through the divorce, they might still be in post-separation abuse, but then you have people who are like really far down the road and 
what did they really learn about mm -hmm. what had happened and what did they work on to try and not have this happen again. And some people yeah. can get there. Some people can't. You know, the show is about trying to bring up some ideas like that, but mm -hmm. also meet people exactly where they are at because not everyone's ready to even do those things or tackle those things. Right. And we're not seeing these things as well as being like victim blaming or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that I am... I have codependent tendencies. I know that I have trouble saying no. I work on trying to stop that because in the wrong hands, if I haven't been able, okay, no, 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 bye. If I'm my old me, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in trouble. Yeah. I definitely understand that. And I appreciate you giving like a safe space for survivors and people that are even still in their situations and just having those different perspectives, I'm sure it helps a variety of people, especially when I left. That was one of the questions I had is like, could he potentially change? And yeah, so I was just curious if you had heard, you know, of this happening in any of the stories. But at the same time, I feel like the answer is no. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Well, well you, there's like there's a whole community on TikTok where oh. there's a lot of um, people on there that are the um, self-aware uh, narcissistic personality disorder people that could have been abusers that are helping educate people that say that they are changing and working on changing. There is a community mm -hmm. out there for for oh, wow. that. TikTok has a community for everything. <laughs> it, it does. And you can probably find them under the hashtag NarcTalk. Okay, perfect. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, so I know you just mentioned, you know, maintaining healthy boundaries, setting those boundaries, saying no. When dealing with a person like this, what are some tips that you have for somebody who realizes they're in a relationship that they either want to get out of or that they feel like they need to set firmer boundaries? So, so, so if you're in the actual relationship mm -hmm. um, and realizing that you're with them, you know, I think the first thing to understand is that you know, there's a lot of possible shame that's going on and an embarrassment and that it's okay that you're in the relationship and, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed about and that this can happen to anyone, rich, poor, black, white, Christian, Jewish, all backgrounds, no matter how rich you are or how poor you are, mm -hmm. it happens to everyone. We've had CEOs on the show. Uh, you know, we've had all different types of people on the show. We've had the, the, my favorite one is when we have psychologists or therapists on the show. <laughs> oh, wow. We've had it happen yeah. to them because it can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. So there's no shame in that. Um, and to know that, um, and that, you know, thing that you, I've already mentioned is, you know, you might feel like you're addicted to them. Um, you might feel guilt about leaving. Like these are the things that might hinder you you might feel like their life they might not as some ways they might make you think that like you can't live without them some of them are, are the way that they do it is you you they'll make it think that they'll die without you mm. so you could feel wrong for for leaving so these are yeah. kind of things that would kind of get thrown in your way mm -hmm. uh you know a lot of times you're isolated and because of the shame and things like that you're not looking for support you think that if you verbalize it to someone, like things at that point might have to change once it's out loud. Um, and it's scary to share, but tell people and search for, and search for support. Um, but as well, you have to do everything safely. Right. And everyone will know what is the safest thing to do because sometimes you could have someone who's very scary mm -hmm. and it's not a safe thing to do. You never know never what happens behind closed doors. And, you know, a lot of these things have to happen quietly. And maneuvering your way out has to be done uh, in a quiet way. Mm -hmm. Joining a support group, if you can do that quietly and really find people who are dealing uh, with the same thing that you are and, you know, get the validation from them and be able to bounce things off of them because your friends might not understand what you're talking about. They might not have any experience in this at all, but people who are going through the same thing do. I run a support group through the show, oh, and cool. I think we have over 100 people that are part of the support group. They show up on different days, and they're just all there helping one another listen, bouncing ideas off of each other, just listening to what they're going through and just validating their experiences. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and when you're with someone in these relationships and you kind of want to leave, I always say like abuse has cycles. So a lot of the times, you know, you might be at the beginning of a cycle. At the beginning of a cycle, when it gets kind of redone, mm-hmm. things might seem like it's okay at that time. And you're like, oh, I don't need to leave now. Things are back to normal because yeah. you've gotten used to these cycles. Mm-hmm. So I say to people, take out your journal. Once you understand that like there are cycles and like you can count these cycles like clockwork, take out your journal, start from the beginning of the cycle, start marking down how this cycle is working. What's happening? You start to really understand who they are. Part of it is education of what is going on. Mm-hmm. Once you're educated to all of their move sets, all of how they're reacting, you can really get a 3D picture of how the cycle works, what sets them off, if anything sets them off, how you're reacting, what happens when you stop reacting in that way, where they go. Then you start. you might start seeing them as this person isn't a 35-year-old, you know, mature person. This is a 8-year-old having a tantrum. This is a 10-year-old having a tantrum. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're stunted at 12 or 16. You know, we get those people that date someone who's always dating that 17-year-old that doesn't want responsibility. <laughs> he, they're now your child as well. Yeah. Um, you're doing everything for them. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to do anything. And they just want to sleep all day, just like <laughs> a 17-year-old. Uh, and then you get the ones who really throw that like eight-year-old or maybe seven-year-old temper tantrum, like this isn't what I ordered for dinner. I wanted my spaghetti done, you know, wow, yeah. in this way. Wow, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. So you get to kind of understand how they operate, and you can do those cycles. And you might go through those cycles the first time, be like, I get it, and you may not leave then. Mm-hmm. But then you go through the cycle. And you, I want to see the cycle again now that I've written everything out. And then you're following the cycle with what you've already written. You're like, yeah, yeah. So you're kind of crossing the T's and dotting the I's in a lot of ways when it comes to narcissistic abuse. Um, In a lot of the cases, you you really start to figure it out. And you're like, okay, I get it. I know what's going on. I've Mm -hmm. tried everything. Nothing has ever worked. I need to get out. Yeah. And I know it to be true now. And sometimes it takes people to go through those cycles and see those cycles. They know it. And, you know, paying attention in that way and doing it that way, you feel more confident in leaving. And then the other way, you know, when people realize the relationship um, is over, it's when officially the bad times outweigh the good. Mm. And I think that's with relationships in general. But Mm -hmm. when the bad is so bad that when the good does happen, it doesn't even do enough anymore. And the bad, you know, that's when you start to have to like make your plan. Yeah. Like, okay, this isn't going to get better. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not listening. You know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, That is a good point. There's actually a book called, I think it's called too bad to stay, too good to leave, something like that. <laughs> I might have messed it up. Um, but I read that book before I left. And yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I, was that, uh, is that the Dr. Romani book? Or no? I don't think it's by Dr. Romani. Oh, I know okay. who you're talking about. I can't remember who wrote it. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I think it was somebody else. Um, but yeah, I'll have to link it in the show notes so people can find it. Because it, it basically just gives you, she asks you questions. They might be like 12 questions. And then based on how you answer that question, she'll give you both scenarios, yes or no. And here's how you answer that question, what that means, and whether or not you should stay, if it's too good to leave or if it's too bad to stay in. And it really makes it obvious what you need to do. <laughs> so that was really helpful for me. Sometimes you just need that eye opener mm-hmm. if, it, if it's from a book or from a friend who just yeah. you know says something out loud right um that happened with a friend of mine um a while ago where a friend of theirs said to them like and this wasn't even abusive relationship at all just Mm -hmm. like you know do they make an effort and they then they started thinking real hard about that that question (laughs) like what is an effort Yeah. It was like, what is an effort? And they're like, well, when they go out, when you go out with your friends, do they come with you when you ask them to? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh boy. And that sent them, you know, 
Yeah. That could be in any relationship. But exactly. those yeah. little little questions sometimes get mm-hmm. you to the thought process of yeah. where you it's kind of like loss of innocence, ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be avoiding it, right. but then when it's brought up to the front burner, it's impossible it's so not to look at anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause you do kind of put the blinders on or you're you're love blind almost. You're just like so infatuated with them that you can't really see the flaws or you don't want to see them for what they actually are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there anything else um, related to this topic that you think would be helpful to share? You know, just pretty much what I've already said. You know, you're you're not alone in what's going on if you think you are. There are a lot of support systems out there for people. Uh, online support groups. Reddit is a great place to get support if you need support. And there are yeah. online forums uh, from raised by narcissists to domestic abuse, narcissistic abuse, narcissistic spouses. I can go on and all the different oh, wow. subreddits that there yeah. are for it. I need to get there's on a Reddit. Lot, <laughs> there's a lot on Reddit. Reddit is a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, hearing stories on our show helps a lot of people. Yeah. Some people can't hear that stuff because it's too triggering for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, really stay safe as much as possible while going through this, doing everything at your pace. Uh, healing as well is not going to happen overnight. Everyone goes at their same pace. You just, I like to bring addiction back in here. Um, some people are able to quit drinking. Boom, done. They don't have to worry about it. They don't have to go to a meeting for the rest of their life. But then there are those people who are addicts who have to go to meetings the rest of their life. They have to actively work on those things. And you know they're in a constant state of you know helping that addiction because they don't want to get back into a relationship like this mm-hmm. ever again and right. you know creating a value system what's acceptable behavior for you what is a no-go knowing that beforehand obviously again actions not matching words um and when you are in a fight with someone and you're disagreeing with someone i can have an argument with you but we respect each other right you know mm-hmm. i'm not taking a low blow at you i'm not going after your insecurity your vulnerability, all the things that I've learned that I know would be terrible. I'm not going to bring that out and attack you. Mm. You know, if that starts happening, you got trouble with that person. They Mm -hmm. really don't respect you. They're going in for, they're trying to hurt you. This isn't about the argument anymore. They're attacking you. Um, And then my favorite line is I already said today is red flags aren't red flags until they become a pattern. So don't feel bad if these things happen you know here people i should have listened to the red flags i feel so um, like so much shame and guilt that's bull Mm -hmm. you know you might have been in the relationship for a year before these things started to show yeah you know but still like you've been love bombing such a way in so many cases that it's hard to get out and then you know for the people Mm -hmm. who are in the financial abusive situations it's very difficult to get out i feel terrible uh for them they have it the hardest you know finances especially if you have kids single mom you might not have had a job at all you know reach out for as much support as you can get in uh, the towns through uh, agencies or uh, shelters as well mm-hmm. um and then if you you know in those who don't have like friends to help as well like they're they have it really bad and um you know reach out to those organizations um if you need help yeah Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I know that this will help a ton of other people as well. Do you want to go ahead and share how people can find you and connect with you online? Uh, Yeah, you can find Narcissist Apocalypse on all podcast apps. Uh, We have our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And on there, you can find all of our episodes uh, as well. Um, We have a YouTube as well, so you can go into YouTube and type in Narcissist Apocalypse, which has all of our uh, interviews and our stories. But some on there, we on a, like a long time ago, we had other videos on there where I used to analyze, and I'll try and do it again, where I analyze movie relationships and things like that, like Twilight, how unhealthy Twilight is, um, things like that, uh, where we kind of analyze movies like, uh, what's another one like Twilight? It was a Twilight fan fiction a movie. Fifty Shades of Grey oh, yeah, and how unhealthy say, yeah. that relationship is. Mm-hmm. And we kind of kind of just kind of really deep dive into 
analyzing what they're showing people, uh, the Disneyfication of what love is, and that's a big problem for a lot of people. They think that that is a norm where mm-hmm. uh, someone's going to do a really bad thing, and I'm going to forgive them. Yeah. And you know, as long as they do one grand gesture for me, I'm back. And that's a thing that's you know societal stuff is in there too. So we try to well, yeah. uh, with the YouTube tackle that a little bit more, mm-hmm. yeah. but in a fun awesome. way in those ones. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, thank you again, and I'll link to everything in the show notes. All right. Thank you for having me, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, I'd love if you subscribed and left us a review. Another way to support the podcast is to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at First Hustle Then Brunch so I can repost it. Thank you so much for supporting the show and I'll see you in the next episode.